Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What I'm going to do is read through this chapter first, and, and then we're going to go through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's only 13 verses, but let's take a look at them. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast and bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Yeah. You can tell we're back in 1 Corinthians because it reads like a Jerry Springer show. You know, I, I was so happy to have a break in between chapter 4 and chapter 5 and when Michael taught last week, and I was almost tempted to give Michael this chapter. said, here you go, man. Go ahead. Go for it. Uh, because now we start dealing with uh, some real issues. Chapter 4, Paul kind of concluded, do I have to come at you with a whip? In other words, do I have to beat sense into you or can I come at you with love? And his whole prior verses is talking about their need for their spirituality to be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they had developed a spirituality that was separated from who Jesus was. It was based on their own ideology or that of men. They were picking and choosing what they wanted, and they were not adhering to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, last Thursday, if you were there, we, we went through the Crave documentary, and we talked about how we walk alongside those who are outside of the church, those who are outside of faith, and how we don't condemn, and how we don't judge, and how we listen, and how we try and find where God is at work in them, and we connect them to that work that God is already doing with them, and it was such a beautiful thing, and, and then we come to chapter 5, and it's like you can get whiplash all of a sudden saying, what's going on here? But you see, what we're doing right now is we're, we're dealing with family. Have you ever had a situation arise in your family where your kids, friends are there and something happens, you find out some information, you need to deal with some situation and so basically you, you tell the friends, you need to go now. And they're like, huh? Yeah, you need to go because right now we're being cordial but things are about to change. <laughs> and I don't want you to be here to see the reality of what happens in family. When we start 
airing the dirty laundry. I, I would prefer you don't be here. Well, Paul is now dealing with family. And a couple of things that we need to recognize at the start. You know, we have this situation where Paul addresses a man who is living with his father's mother, and we think, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And our tendency is to say, oh, look at those people, and not recognize that these people are a part of the church, that Paul is dealing with those who are believers. And whenever we get to a place where we start isolating people or looking down on people or trying to judge them with an air of arrogance, we're in trouble. C.S. Lewis wrote, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. In other words, when we are getting closer to God, we are more aware of our potential and the evil that is still there within us. He goes on and he says, when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. And so this passage is here isn't so that we can say, oh, I'm better than. This passage is here so that we can understand what happens in a family, in a, a faith family. And how are we supposed to deal with these situations as they would arise up? No doubt they're followers of Christ, but they've tweaked what it means to be spiritual. And it looks a lot different than what it means to follow Christ or what Christ is doing in them. They were proud of their tolerance. And we live in a culture where that is so dominant. You just have to be tolerant. And now someone is in the church and he says, what's happening here? isn't even happening outside the church. In, in verse 1, he says, it actually is reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. In other words, the people outside the church are looking at you and saying, dude, that's weak. What, what's going on here? Man. And they're thinking of it as, see how tolerant we are. See how graceful we are. See how accepting we are. We are so open and that we're accepting this brother who is boldly and, and blatantly in this attitude and in this condition. And, and they're justifying their immorality. They're thinking it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. We have a relationship with God and that's all that's important. I have my relationship with God. You can't talk to me about that. That's off the table. And Paul is saying, no, you shouldn't be glad. You shouldn't boast in this. You should be grieving. You should be upset about this because how does a spiritual community of Christ followers respond when there is rampant, arrogant immorality going on within the community? You know, maybe, you know, you're not having a problem dating your father's mom, okay? Maybe that's not an issue for you. But there are issues in the church. How do we deal with those immoral issues? How are we supposed to, to confront these things? Are we okay with whatever we're doing? And, and you, you justify it? You see, I'm okay living with my girlfriend. And I still believe in God. It's okay. Don't, don't, don't condemn me. Don't push me. Hey, we're talking to family here. You know, I, I can log on to pornography and it's not an issue. Don't, don't, don't bother me about that. I, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm accepting it. Or you're pursuing a, a relationship that's adulterous and something that is not right. And you're thinking, I can still have my relationship with God and still move in this direction. And you're just fine with it. You see, there's a lot of areas in our lives where immorality seeps in and we become just okay with it. We become tolerant of it. We don't want to make waves. We suppress any kind of conviction and judgment and correction because we don't want to deal with that pressure. 
And as Paul is talking to these things, he's confronting this. And, you know, we're okay in this as long as we don't get caught and others don't know about it. But we don't want anyone to judge us. We don't want to say anything about it. And you see, one of the issues that we have is, is we've been created in this society. Many of us have grown up, and this has just been the norm. The sexual tendencies of our culture have become what many of us have grown up in. I can remember finding my stepfather's porn stash, and that was just something that was acceptable. I never had anyone give me advice on how to deal with my sexuality, to give me direction or instruction on how not to let this consume you. And so a lot of us just grow up and whatever drive you have, you just pursue it and it becomes something that is just commonplace in your life. It becomes a habit. It becomes a way of life. And that's the norm that we kind of grow up in. And for a lot of us, it's like, well, this is all I've known. This is what I've done. And, and as they have accepted this lifestyle and embracing this guy, even when the culture doesn't, what's happening is their voice of who Christ is is getting washed out. You see, Jesus is no longer someone who comes into your life and changes your life. Jesus just becomes the genie that you can rub the lamp and get whatever you want, and it's the God that lets you do whatever you want. And so now the power of Jesus, not only to, to forgive sin, but to change life, is disappeared because they look just like us. They act just like us. There's no difference with how they be Behave. They follow their passions blindly, just like we do. There really is no difference. And you see, the gospel of Jesus isn't just that Jesus died to forgive our sins. It's that Jesus died to forgive our sins and to recreate us, to make us new, to change our hearts, to give us the power to overcome our flesh. And this regenerative power is now lost as they just tolerate and accept this immorality. Now, who is he talking to here? I want to be careful to make sure that this is clear because there are some of you who are struggling with sin and you're convicted and you... you Pray and ask the Lord for help. You might even talk to people and counsel and say, man, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Okay, Paul's not talking to you. So I don't want you to leave here and go, it's me, I'm out of here, they're going to kick me out. Or I don't want you to stand up, come running and confess anything, okay? This isn't talking to you. This is talking to the person who doesn't care. You see, this person is pissed at me right now because I'm stepping on their toes, because I am talking about things that they say, that's none of your business, man. Just get out of my business. Who do you think you are to talk to me? And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm reading this. Well, this person's thinking, well, you know, I think God's okay with what I'm doing. Then you read this and you say, well, Paul's not, but may I think God is, you know. You, you, you try and understand and justify what it is you're doing, and you don't really care. You're talking about someone who is arrogant in their sin, who is blatant, who, who flaunts it, and just doesn't care. And so understand that that's who Paul's addressing. And so if you have a conviction of sin, this isn't meant to blast you, and this isn't even meant to condemn anyone. What it's meant to do is deal with the situation so that the message of Jesus doesn't get drowned in the community of faith or in this person's life. And these are the hard things to talk about. You see, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms and surrender to God. And what's happening is there is a rebel in the church saying, I don't care, I'm going to live how I want, and I'm going to still worship your Jesus. And then we have to stand up and say, wait a second, you're coming into our community, you're a part of our family, but you're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping your version of Jesus who allows you to do whatever you want. 
But you see, who Jesus is changes who we are. And then he gives this illustration that is, is really a, a difficult thing. I mean, he, he talks about this kind of judgment that falls on this person. He says, even though I am, verse 3, am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature, or the flesh, may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Wow. Paul is saying, this guy's guilty. I've already assumed, a, I've got convened a little jury, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, myself, and we've passed verdict on this man. He's guilty. And then he says something that we, we don't fully understand. And he says, hand him over to Satan. And it would seem that Satan is now a tool of God to help administer correction. And it would seem that what Paul is saying is, to get this person out of your midst, and allow him to experience the world and not the grace of God because that's what he is wanting, is basically the judgment of God. And allow him to, to live in that place where he is not connected to that love that God gives so that he will see the error of his ways and say, I don't want to be in this condition. And we actually see that this happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, okay, let the guy back. But the idea is you need to bring some kind of a judgment down so that he can see and understand that he has separated himself from the God who has poured out his grace on him. And this kind of confrontation is a difficult thing. Our tolerance for each other's unrepentant sin and arrogance about our own unrepentant sin, it betrays our ignorance that we don't understand the gospel. Let me say that again, because this is important. Our tolerance for each other's unrepentant sin and our arrogance about our own unrepentant sin betray our ignorance that we don't understand the gospel. If you think it's okay and you don't care about this in your life, then you don't understand what the gospel is about. It's about changing us. It's about recreating us. It's about making us new creations that represent Jesus. Again, we all struggle. We all fall short. This isn't talking about a person who is groping their way towards Christ, wanting to be made holy, wanting to get rid of the vices that have been a part of their lives. Because sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, something that's been in your life for 30 years, it's hard to let go sometimes. You've got this memory, you've got this baggage that you carry along. And it's not talking about that person. It's talking about the person who doesn't want to change, doesn't care, wants to live in this place. And Paul's saying, you've got to allow judgment to fall on them so that they will want to change. And that's a difficult thing for us because we don't like to be the bearers of bad news. We don't like to be the bad guy. We don't want to be the person who comes down heavy. In verse 6, he gives a little illustration. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast and the bread of sincerity and truth. And now what he does is he paints a couple of pictures from Exodus. He goes and he talks about the judgment that God fell upon Egypt. There were the plagues, and the final plague was that the death angel would come over and kill the firstborn of all the cattle, of all the people. And what they had to do is had to bring a lamb into their home, and they had to have it as a pet. They had to feed it and take care of it, and then they had to slaughter it. 
They had to kill this innocent lamb, and they had to put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel would come over to bring judgment, if he saw the blood, he would pass over that house and not judge that house because the innocence was sacrificed to cover their sin. And he says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Why would you put yourself back into a place where you can receive judgment when Jesus has taken care of the judgment for you? Why are you going to go outside? Why are you going to go remove yourself from this place where you are covered by the blood of forgiveness and put yourself into a place of judgment? Don't you understand Christ is our Passover lamb? And when you act this way and you behave this way, you're putting yourself back into a place of judgment. And then he talks about another feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the Passover, it was a, a time of cleansing where they would find all the yeast that they had used throughout the year and had put in the bread and they would help the bread grow. The, the leaven would develop and it would go and they would take some and they'd put it in this and they kept it in the house. Well, there was supposed to be a time of cleansing where for seven days all the leaven was removed from the house. No bread was made with any yeast at all. It was to be a sign of purification. Get rid of that old leaven. It's got to be cleansed. And he goes on, he says, after this Passover, there needs to be a time of purification. In other words, Christ has forgiven you. Now there needs to be a time where he purifies you. He changes you, where he brings in this cleansing. And he's challenging them to allow the Passover to be relevant in their lives. This is the gospel. And to allow Jesus to purify their lives, to change them and make them new. That they would recognize that God's desiring to recreate us. And I love what he says there. He says, for this is who you really are. In verse 7, as you really are. And then the verse 8, he ends with sincerity and truth. You know, I don't think we understand who we really are when we have accepted and received this forgiveness and mercy of Christ. I don't think we really grasp hold of what it means to be a child of God and how he is supposed to be seen in our lives. This is who you really are. And he talks about sincerity and truth. In Psalm 51:6 it says, "Surely you, Lord, desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the most in most places. Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He talked to them about judging because they were judging those outside with hypocrisy and ignoring what was taking place within themselves. Because what God really wants in all of us is for us to know and be true, to be whole to have that truth in the inward parts, to be able to be open before God and know that God sees everything within me, the muck, the mire, the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows it all, and he wants to work with us. If we want to hold on to the junk, and we want to tell God, nah, I, I, I don't want that. You, you deal with that on your own. I'm going to hold on to this part of my life. We're not allowing God to, to do that work. We're not being truthful with ourselves. We're not allowing God's truth to penetrate our lives. And, and what Paul is also saying here is he's talking about us as a community. You know, we tend to think of church as this organization you go and you, you're loosely connected to one another. It's kind of like the Water Buffalo Club. You know, you go, hey, Bill, how's it going? Yeah, that was a good game of golf. You know, yeah, well, you know, we have this kind of social gathering. But Paul talks about it as a family. And again, we're talking family here. 
And he, he illustrates us as a body. That we're connected by Jesus in, in a spiritual way, in a profound way. And we have to ask ourselves, if we don't see the church the way Paul describes it, we don't see the effects our faith have on the community. You see, do you think that what you do affects others in your faith community? That's a hard sell today. We're all individuals. We're all, you know, have our own way. And we kind of have this separation where we all are unique. And even though we are creatively, we collectively make up the body of Jesus Christ. And so when we think, well, if I sin, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to you what I do. Because we don't see ourselves as family. But in a family situation, does it matter? Does it matter when the dad logs on to pornography in his home, in that family? Does that affect the family? When that son or daughter gets hooked on drugs, does that affect the rest of the family? When that wife starts flirting or trying to seduce another man, does that affect the family? Does it have a role on how that family is going to live and move forward? And Paul is saying, you are a family and you affect one another. And, and what's going to happen as our, our sin is like a yeast and it's going to be seen and it's going to develop. And if you don't address it and if you tolerate it and you think, no big deal, it's okay, live how you want, you are going to dilute the power of God in your midst and the work of Christ in your lives. And it's not good. It affects the whole group. That should force us to do one of two things. If it should cause us to think, I don't want to drag my family down by my conduct. I don't want to let my life be something that brings everyone down and brings the work and power of Christ to a place where it is minimized. And it also should help us to, to not want to see someone go to a place that is going to be dangerous and hurtful to them. It affects how the world sees the gospel. It affects how the world sees what's happening within us. Because then we become these people, oh yeah, you go to that church, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And basically that church says that you're God because you can do what you want and your God's okay with it. And again, the power of God is, is brought down. He then goes on and gives the idea of distinction. In verse 9, he, he talks about, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. With such a man do not even eat. The church has struggled with this. The, the church has oftentimes focused our judgment on those without. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. God hasn't asked us to do that. And that's kind of what we talked about on Thursday. How the church goes to the world and we want to legislate morality. And we start telling them how to live. And we want to tell them, you can't do that and you can't do this. And they're like, who are you? I don't believe what you believe. Get out of my face. And he's saying, you can't talk to the world that way. But for some reason, we have a lot of energy to focus on judging those outside and little to deal with the things that happen within. But you have to deal with what's in and not without. I can remember so many times my kids were saying, yeah, you know, Joey down the street, he's going to go to this, you know, party or whatever it is. Can I go? And I'd say, no, you can't go. But Joey can go, that's ah, okay, Joey's not my son, you're my son. 
I don't have control over him. You, I do. You live in this house. I buy your food, your clothes. Think about it. You see, I don't have anything to do with him and how he lives. He's not my son. And so many times the church is trying to dictate to the world who isn't related to us how they should live, and it just doesn't make sense, and it's not our place, and it doesn't go over well. Have you noticed? But then dealing with each other and how we deal with one another is something that we need to focus our attention on. And again, we judge each other when you see arrogant and blatant sin. Now, some people are jerks and they're looking for sin in everyone. Sorry. Some people are just trying to find everything wrong. And they're on the hunt. You know, did you see so-and-so's Facebook? They had a beer in their hand. Who? Yeah, that person over there. What do you want me to do about it? I think you should go talk to him. I think there's something going on there. It's like, back off, dude, okay? <laughs> and some people are looking for stuff, and it, it gives us a bad taste in our mouth because we are used to people just coming down, being self-righteous, and trying to judge every little thing. This is dealing with a blatant, obvious sin that they don't care about. Okay? And Paul's talking about this, not with the attitude of, yeah, I'm going to get you. He's just like, you have to care for the body. And he actually cares for this man, saying, man, at best, hand him over to Satan so that his soul can be saved. It's not punitive, the judgment. It's not, I'm not out to get you. It's I'm trying to rescue you in whatever way I can. And the truth is that sometimes we get into a place in our mind where our pride just will stop us from being approachable. Because pride is like a spiritual cancer. It eats up every possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And so when someone approaches you, hey, man, you've got this going on in your life. It's not good. Hey, man, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And we throw this out there, and, you know, everyone's ready to jump on that wagon. Yeah, don't judge, man. What's wrong with you? I mean, someone could break into your house, and you call the cops, and the guy says, man, you judged me. Called the cops on me. It's like, dude, you were trying to steal my TV. Yeah, but you judged me. And then the neighbors come over. And they're, what's going on, man? This guy judged me. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, come with us, man. We won't judge you. Come on. Yeah, who does that guy think he is? Man, judging me like that. Hey, give me back my TV, you know? And our pride blinds us. And so when someone talks to you and confronts you and say, hey, this is going on in your life and it's not good, it's like, hey, man, back off. And I got to tell you, it never goes well when you confront someone. It just doesn't. When you see something in someone's life, a, a person who you love and care about, a fellow believer and... You say, this is happening, and you need to knock this off. It doesn't go well. Usually you hit the pride wall that says, get out of my life. And usually what happens is they shut the door on you, and they'll find another church that they can go to where they won't be judged. And they can continue living in that way without someone trying to deal with this issue in their lives. And it, it makes you sick. It, it hurts you. It, it causes a lot of grief because now someone who you care about despises you because you exposed an area of their life they didn't want exposed. They wanted to hold on to it. And so they, they want to continue holding on to that and they'll just go somewhere else where they can. Or sometimes it takes that kind of confrontation that finally does open their eyes, but many times again, because of pride, we just, I, I can't be here anymore because you know this about me. So I'm going to go to a place where they don't know this about me. And I'll, I'll repent of it, but I just don't want the shame hanging over me. 
And although we understand that, I think it is our deficiency of love. You see, this chapter is the same book that chapter 13, which is the greatest expression of what love is, that people know all over the world. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's the same book. It's the same author saying, this is what love is. And to get to chapter 13, sometimes you have to go through chapter 5. And if people would only understand, and if we would only portray the love of God that recognizes none of us have it together. We are all in desperate need of God's mercy continually. I am not talking to you as your judge. I am talking to you as your friend, as your brother, as your father, as your sister, as your mother. I am talking to you as someone who loves you and wants to bring you to a place where you can enjoy the mercy and the goodness of God in your life. That's what I am doing. And if you came back and if you were a part of this, I would show you the love and grace and mercy of Christ and I would never throw this in your face. I would never bring this up again. My job is not to belittle you. My job is to exhort you, to strengthen you, to walk together with you so that we can journey in this relationship with Christ. That's what we desire. Don't let pride be a cancer that stops you from receiving the love that God wants to instill in us as a community and as a family. Let's have the right desire and mentality. Let's recognize that none of us can stand except for the grace of God. There are three things that I, I want to kind of close with and address, and, and basically three types of people. Some of you aren't in this arrogant, blatant sin, but you know people who are, who are a part of the community of faith, but you don't confront them because you want to be nice, you want to be kind. Is it really kind to let someone live a life that will slowly destroy them? Is it really kind if, if you saw a woman who, you know, couldn't see and she was walking out into the street and you saw a semi coming, is it really kind to say, ah, I don't want to bother her, try and change her direction? Bam! You know, ah, well, you know, I didn't want to judge her. Is that really kind? You see, kindness will always lead to life. And the kind thing to do the loving thing to do is to make someone aware in a spirit of meekness, lifting them as more important than yourself, exhorting them. That's, that's kind. You know, dude, I see you've been drinking and you're partying pretty heavy and you've already got a DUI. Your parents kicked you out of the house. You've lost your job. You need to stop. You see, that's kind. That's caring. But if we just want to be friends, we don't want to push anybody's buttons, then we won't say anything. You know, we don't want to be judging. But really... We like judgment. We wouldn't want a God who doesn't judge. Do you think it's okay for child molesters to do whatever they want? Of course not. You, you want judgment. You want standards. It brings security to have boundaries. And, and so it's not really true that you want no judgment at all. You just want to be liked. And it takes love to approach someone when you know in return that they're not going to like you. And it's hard to lose friends who you care about because you confront them and then they don't like you. It's hard. 
and it eats at you. But that's the kind thing to do. That's showing love. That's being true to your friendship, to your love for them. And so for, for those who might be here who know people are in this but just don't want to get involved in their lives in that way, recognize that you're not doing the right thing by letting them continually destroy their life. It would be better, as Paul said, to turn them over to Satan that the judgment of their flesh might bring salvation to their soul. And sometimes it takes that hard awakening for people to open their eyes. Sometimes it takes that exposing of the situation for them to really repent. But it never goes well. The second group that I want to talk to are those who aren't Christians. And you just came in and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on here? I remember I had this friend, I'd go to his house and we'd sit down and, you know, we'd be talking and watching TV and his mom would come in and she would start screaming and it sounded like a cat being boiled in oil. I mean, she would just come in. And I remember I'd just be like, oh man, and like, I'm going to leave now, Dave. And he's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. You go, no, man, it ain't okay. Your mom's freaking out, man. It, it ain't good. And he was used to it and dealing with it. But I was like, I got to get out of here, man. I don't know what's going on, but I don't trust her. She's going to get a knife and kill somebody. I mean, just was. And so some of you are here and you're thinking, what the heck is going on? And, and you know, I think we all understand what it's like or would like to have had a dad who, who really cared about us enough to give our lives boundaries and guidance. I, I look back and I never had a, a father who did that. And I look back and I think how good it would have been to have had a dad who would have given me direction, who would have given me correction, who would have helped my life point the right direction and not go through so much grief, so much just crud. How great it would have been to have guidance for my life. And I think even if you're not a person of faith, you can understand that having guidance in your life is a good thing. And so instead of thinking of this as, man, you know, these people are crazy. They want to control your life. I, I hope you can see that what God is wanting to do is bring guidance in our lives so that we don't destroy them. Because sexual immorality will destroy your life. It destroys families. It destroys intimacy between a husband and a wife. It destroys integrity with a father and his children. It causes a lot of hurt, as does drunkenness, greed, slander, and the other things that are mentioned. And I hope that you can see that what God is doing is giving loving guidance. Remember, we're going to get to chapter 13 and talk about love that gives. And I hope if you aren't a person of faith that you see that this is just that. This is loving guidance. And last, if you're a person who is in this area of sin, and maybe your blood is boiling right now and you're, you're just fuming at me, I want you to think, is, is your pornography really more glorious than Jesus? Is your one-night stand with that girl more satisfying than the love of Christ? Is that adulterous relationship that you're pursuing with that man give you more hope than what Christ can give you? Christ went to the cross and was the Passover lamb. He, he gave himself for you selflessly does your sin do that for you? Are you willing to hold on to that sin and give up the grace and the love and the, the goodness of God?
does it mean more to you than what Jesus is doing? That one-dimensional sin, are you going to allow that to be what shapes your life instead of the Spirit of God? Would you exchange the grace of Christ for the lie of your sin? And if the Spirit of God is pressing upon you and saying, you need to stop, it's not okay with me. You know, the word confess in the scripture means to agree with. In 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sin, it means if you acknowledge what it is as God sees it, he's faithful to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. I can remember when I was just out of high school, and I, I want to be open and honest with you guys so that you know I'm not here to judge you. I was involved with the relationship. I was a Christian, and, and it wasn't in a healthy way. And I can remember hearing a Bible study and someone talking, and I don't remember the exact passage, but I remember as they spoke, the Spirit of God touched me and said, that's where you're at, and you need to stop. And I remember just breaking because it had been going on for a period of time and, and it was almost like God was saying, I've been talking to you and talking to you. You just haven't been listening. But now I've got your attention. Will you knock it off? Would you stop it? And the Spirit of God just said, deal with this. And it was hard and it was humbling and it was broken. I felt like an idiot. I'm crying when he's talking about sexual sin. What does that mean? What does that mean? Everyone's going to see me. Oh, God. But it was a time when God just dealt with me. And if God is dealing with you, let him. Let him. He handed himself over to Satan so that you wouldn't have to. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and Junior, I'm going to have you come up right now as we're going to continue. It says that love is the great conqueror of lust. Being in love is far better than either common sensuality or cold self-centeredness. You see, what you really need isn't lust or sexual immorality. What you and I really need is love. And even though we had communion a couple of weeks ago, as I was going through the study, I said, we have to have communion today because I want you to know that if you are in this condition, that this is what Jesus has done for you to make it so that you can come to him anytime you turn your heart towards him. I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, I'm condemned. Oh, gosh, you know, the, talking about my sin, it's exposed. Oh, no, God is dealing with me. I can't come to church anymore. I'm just, I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. But Jesus gave his life so that you can come and be a part of the family of God. The blood and body of Christ is what makes us family. It's why we're here. It's what connects us together. It's what gives our forgiveness. It's what gives us life. And you are more than welcome to be my brother and to dip into the, the juice with the bread and receive the forgiveness and the love of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what we want for you. This wasn't about condemning anyone. This was about setting us free so that the love of Christ could overtake the passion and the lust of this world and the things that just hold on to us and that we can be set free that the power of God would be seen in our community. I don't do those things. Why? Because God has changed me. He's given me a love that satisfies. He's given me a life that pursues Him. And so as we worship, I want you to know that Christ welcomes you. We welcome you to come and partake and understand that Jesus has died so that we can be forgiven. And the way we do this is as we're worshiping, as you feel led, you come up, you take the bread, you dip it once, and, and then you can take it back to your seat. You can eat it here at the table. But understand that this is the open door to the heart of God that you can enter in anytime through what Jesus did on the cross.
and I, I apologize for getting so emotional in, in this. And it was a hard study for me to put together just because I don't want anyone to go away feeling that we're condemning them. We just don't want you to live in a place that's not going to be healthy for you. And we are going to confront it if we see it. And this isn't the church elders are going to come find you out. This is what takes place within yourselves. As you see your brother, as you see your sister, as you talk to your friend, this is where we deal with each other as brothers and sisters and as family. We're not going to go looking for you. I'm not going to go search your Facebook. God knows your heart. God's wanting to touch and restore each of us. So let's worship, and as the Lord moves you, just come up to the table, partake once again, and acknowledge the forgiveness that Jesus offers freely, and allow him to change. Allow the love of God to bring about repentance in your life. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave with a graceful humility, with a love that is evident, with a spirit of meekness, God, and with hearts of concern and compassion. Father, that all that has been brought up here would be filtered through your Holy Spirit and through you, Jesus, through your character. Father, that we would be encouraged, strengthened, and drawn to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless this family here that you would guard our hearts and minds, Lord. You would help those who are struggling in these areas of immorality, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Father, empower them, do a supernatural work within our lives, change us, God, as we yield ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you for your open arms that welcome us always. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would bless the offering, the finances collected would be used for your glory, for these kids who are represented with the love of your neighbor, Lord, for all that we desire to do, Lord, we entrust to you. Supply the needs of Genesis and the families that are here, Lord, those who are in need of work and struggling, Lord. Lord, we remember them and we lift them to you. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. We ask your blessing as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.